Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Designing Your Future Now on Sylvia Global Radio with Dr. Jamie Traeger Muni and Emily Bouchard. Good morning. We are so happy to be here. Jamie, welcome back from Greece. Thank you. <laughs> we're so glad you're back. And Sylvia, uh, from, Gail Sylvia is back from New York, and we can't wait to hear about all the amazing interviews she's doing. Uh, the first ladies from 15 different countries, really exciting. Uh, today, we are going to be focusing on a topic that is so important to our listeners that we uh, ended up having it get initiated on the last call, on the last show, when people were calling in about um, parenting issues from uh, one woman being pregnant and having a 17-month-old and really being concerned about wow, how do I raise my children to be financially smart and savvy in this world, to a a man calling in about his um, two sons having graduated from college and needing support and still being very dependent and wanting to support them and becoming more independent. So we are dedicating today's call to raising empowered versus entitled children. It's a big concern. Research, many different research studies with people who have significant wealth have shown that the the issue that keeps people up at night um, more than anything else is what is the impact of this wealth and money going to be on my family and on my children? And Jamie, you have been working with people in this area, uh, as have I, and you know you have been um, just a forerunner in this field, and I'd love to hear some of the thoughts that you have before we get into the, the nitty-gritty and start uh, taking listeners' questions. Great. One of the things I'm so excited about when you told me about the caller last week who was pregnant and has a 17-month-old because she's really being so proactive and thinking about it. People think, oh, you know, my kid's a baby. I don't have to worry about it till later. And it's always later, later, later. Um, and really, this education around money, like all the education we do with our kids, starts from the moment they're born. So it's exciting to hear people talking about it. And I would say, you know, if we had one message to put across on this call today, it's really like you can't start too too early. And it doesn't mean that you, you know, sit down your infant and read an economics book from college. We're going to teach you today and, um, you know, we'll be doing several shows on the subject, um, some really developmentally appropriate uh, skills and tools that you can use with each age. So um, things that you can start at from the very beginning um, are uh, even making a piggy bank with kids around spend, save, and share. Um, Kids love to do that. When I work with kids, you know, you can make it a really fun art project. You can take oatmeal boxes, and they can collage them with all different things. They could do one oatmeal, not boxes, but the round things, um, around things they want to spend their money on, one about what big things they might be saving for, a bicycle, 
Um, and another one about sharing and what they think about in sharing. And then they can put different parts of their allowance or money that they have into those and really clink them and feel, hear the money inside. Oh, yeah. You know, I was working with a client yesterday on this very topic and um, this whole concept of uh, looking at money as a resource that we can use to share with other people, save for something that we care about or spend right now in the, in the present time is so useful. And it's a conversation that we encourage parents to have as they're looking at purchases as well. Because the other thing that research shows more than anything is children will, the biggest indicator of who your children are going to become is a direct result of what they're seeing modeled and what they're learning from their parents directly. So it's one of those, uh, you know, not necessarily do as I say, but um, what is it I'm doing? What, how am I showing up? And so uh, as much as really having a great craft project and having your children think about what is it that they would love to give money away to, what is it they'd love to save for, and what is it they wow, they would want to go spend if they were at the store today, you also want to be speaking about, oh, you know, I was just thinking that um, I need to get uh, some new, I need to update my wardrobe for the fall. And I want to look at what's my budget for that in terms of what I want to spend now. And I want to look at how much I saved over the summer um, in preparation for that budget so that you're languaging and speaking that and you're bringing mindfulness to your spending, to your saving, so your children are hearing and seeing that and not just seeing the outcome, the purchase, you showing up with all these new clothes where they actually get to see and hear the thinking and the thought processes behind it can be um, very helpful. And if you are finding that you're doing impulsive buying and um, uh, purchases without doing a lot of uh, thinking beforehand, know that, you know, we've talked in past shows about archetypal patterns around money. It's an archetypal pattern like that innocence and the, the fool that just kind of rushes in and let me do this now and I'll pay for it later. That's what the children are going to be seeing and picking up on. And that's where that entitlement piece can show up in terms of, oh, I can just buy whatever I want. Emma, you're making so many great points. I want to jump in on a couple things. Um, I love what you said about actions speak louder than, um, than words. And actually, I think that if your actions and your words aren't in alignment, that speaks the loudest. Kids are like little scavengers. They're looking for where we aren't um, walking our talk. And when you say, oh, you should save your money, and then we don't do it, that's what they really pick up on. You know, so in, inadvertently, then the message is to go out and spend. And I think people can come back and say, you know, to their kids, um, oh, I've been realizing that I haven't been saving enough. I've really been spending. Um, and there's some, you know, trips I might want to go on and I, I haven't really built up. So they, they can start to speak about it a little bit and say, you know, I'm going to start to uh, think about it more consciously. So you're allowed to to show your learning process as well. And another great idea is to have with the spend, save, share is to have like a family um, um, set. So you can have things as a family that you come up with, you sit down and have a meeting and say, what is it that we want to save our money for? Um, I worked with a, a family that um, they would put money in their save jar 
um, every week, and then they would plan a trip at the end of the year with whatever money was in there, and they would all come up with what they could do. And some years, there was more money in, and they could go on, you know, maybe a more lavish trip. Other years, they had to reduce their budget. Um, and they can think about, you know, what they want to spend immediately. If kids say, my kids say all the time, can we go out for dinner? You know, that's a great time to look and say, well, how much do we have in the spend jar? Um, okay, so you're really I want to jump in modeling. because um, when the, your children are older, that same, uh, you know, mechanism in terms of saving money for a trip together takes on a whole nother possibility. And what that can look like is, the children are in charge of the safe for the vacation, and the parents may even put a certain amount, like, look, this is our uh, principal. This is the amount that we put aside, that we saved towards the vacation for next year. And we're being proactive because we have a year ahead. And it's your job to then look at this money and see how you might grow this money over the course of the year to make it even more that can determine the quality of our trip. And, you know, let's see, we have three options. If you take this money and you lose it, when we do our trip, we're going to go camping. We're going to just go and um, have a really um, budgeted, economically um, uh, low-budget trip. We'll still have a trip, but it's going to be low. If you don't make any money, we'll do kind of a standard trip that we're normally used to. And if you do make money, we get to have a different quality of trip. Now, what's interesting about this is when your children are brought up with uh, first-class travel, private plane, um, I was just talking with a a colleague who uh, talked about, yeah, even in my family, we we bought tickets to get to the front of the line going into uh, some amusement park because we didn't want to have to wait in line. And then when we had to wait in line to go get the hot dogs, the kids looked at us and said, wait, wait, can we get those? But where's our tickets to get to the front of the line here? And it was this aha moment of, oh, we buy conveniences that make it so the kids expect them. And that expectancy creates that entitlement piece. So um, allowing the, the children to take some risks with the money, to um, invest it to where it's theirs, that they're doing that with, creates a sense of ownership creates a sense of, oh, this is our family's money, we need to be responsible for it, and what we do with it determines what everybody's going to have and what they're all going to be impacted by, really helps to uh, keep that entitlement piece from growing so large. And, Jamie, I know you've got some things you want to say because we're touching on so much so quickly. Well, it's exciting. I think, you know, if I was going to summarize, we're 10 minutes into the call and it's already so jam-packed, I would say the theme that we're really talking about is one about being themes, one about being proactive. You know, it doesn't just happen. All of these things take thought. Um, and at the same time, it's really easy to t- take any, almost any event like planning a trip or um, buying a bicycle and make it into a learning activity for kids. So that's the second theme that, that we've been talking about is the importance of education. And just like any other kind of education, it's um, it's a learning process. So mistakes get made, and um, th- you get more complex as you go along. So financial education is exactly like that. Sometimes um, I work a lot with inheritors, with those two, and sometimes um, there's an expectation in families. If the parents have done really well, 
financially and made money, there's this expectation that that's somehow like a genetic trait, you know, and I always say to clients, it's like if your parents know a foreign language. So if your parents speak French fluently, but they've never spoken French to you, and anytime you've had the opportunity to use French, they do it for you, um, you're not going to learn French. You have to be taught French. You have to practice your French. You have to sound awful for a long time, make mistakes. Um, so it's a learning process. And then I think the most important thing that we're talking about, Emily, is making all of these things fun and engaging um, as opposed to a chore or, um, you know, a lesson um, or something to be feared. Often people feel like, you know, I can't take any chances with money, going back to the archetypes that you were speaking of. So well, I, um, This is great, and I'm going to jump in because I know that you have applied this. I love that we walk our talk, and I know that you applied this concept of um, creating a, opportunities to learn with a big dollar item. And um, would you speak a little bit about what you do with your daughter because um, I love this story. It really brings it home and it lets people know how you to actually do this. It's not just an idea, but how to actually put it into practice. Great. I'd be happy to. Um, my daughter, who's now 11, when she was about, I think she must have been about five years old, and she wanted an American Girl doll. And, I, you know, that was way, they're about, they're over $100. That was way more than I was prepared to spend for a doll, um, particularly for a five-year-old. And so, and she wanted it, and she asked for a long time, and I finally said to her, listen, Hannah, I'll make you a deal. Um, you know, we will agree to have that be, we'll, we will agree to match and, and um, pay for half of it if you raise the other half. And at five years old, her allowance was a dollar a week. So essentially, that was a year of allowance for her. Um, and, you know, my husband and I were like, first of all, we never thought she'd do it uh, because, you know, that takes a lot of tenacity at, at five. Um, and she did it. And then she came to us. And um, so we said, OK, this is going to be your, you know. No, wait, wait, when you said she did it, did she do it like a dollar a week and it took her a year? She said she did not spend, you know, I, I, there's not that much I have to spend, but she saved every dollar and she had her oatmeal jar and she, you know, had pictures of American Girl dolls that she got all plastered all over and she put the money in every week. And every week she would count it. She was so excited. It was growing. Um, and then... Finally, she was ready to get it. And, you know, we said, okay, the other half is going to be for a holiday gift and for your birthday. And uh, my husband still couldn't believe we were going to spend this money on a doll. And then she gets the doll and um, she opens it and she's very excited. And then immediately there was this sense of deflation because she looked at it and it was plastic and you know, but it wasn't all plastic. There were parts of it. The body was sort of unformed. It, for whatever reason, it didn't match her expectations. And, you know, she said to us, I can't believe that this is what I saved my allowance for, for an entire year. Um, you know, and we talked a little bit about it and some of the letdown. And I just remember saying to my husband afterwards, that was the best 
$50 we've ever spent. Uh, because she, you know, had we gotten it for her, she would have never had the appreciation. Um, and she also later on, as she got a little older, she started really liking the doll. And we were able to talk about that again, that, you know, it, at that point, it did seem like a worthwhile purchase for her. Um, so, you know, the important parts were really not making the value judgment. It wasn't my value judgment to buy the doll letting her have it, but giving the conditions under which we were willing to contribute um, and asking her to meet us. And then also to then let her have her upset, not for sure not to say, I told you so, or any of that, but just we kept asking questions like, you know, what about it is disappointing? You know, and she said, well, it's not as high a quality as I thought. So, you know, then we could say, oh, well, that's an interesting thing to think about in the future. Um, and she is a person that always looks at quality now. So, you know, there's some really wow. This this is so great. I'm so excited that you're. You know, we get a chance to express these, and you have said some very key components to what people hear when it comes to financial education with children. And I want to break them down. Great. You and I have had many debates about this. Sometimes I feel like we're like click and clack. Like, tell me about your take on. Um, allowance, because there are a lot of people and a lot of research that says tie allowance to chores. Have it be like you do this, you get that. Have it be like work. You know, you go to work, you get a paycheck. They have, there's a strong desire to have it be tied to that. You have a very different opinion. I want to hear your stance, and I I tend to lean more towards what you have to say in terms of um, what parents parents should do in terms of allowance, and then we're, we're going to talk about chores. Right. I think both of them are very important. It's very important that kids um, contribute. Um, you and I talked earlier, and I love this. I'm going to attribute it to you because you said it, to really shift the word from chore because nobody wants to do a chore to contribution. They still might not want to take out the trash, but it's contributing. Um, so I... I think there are two important components of being a citizen of a family. So we talk a lot about what does it mean to be part of a family and when I work with clients. And there's two things. It, part of what it means, it, you know, there's a lot of things. There's loving each other. There's respecting. One of the things is that there's a certain amount of work that needs to get done, things that need to get done, and that we split them up. We don't necessarily split them up evenly, but everybody contributes and does a piece. Um, and that's part of being our family. You don't get paid for it. You don't get to not do it. It's just part and parcel of being part of the family. And the other side okay, of that. I, just, I, wanna, I wanna jump in on that because great. Um, uh, one of the things that's really important is when people get that they matter, their self-worth builds, they feel worthwhile. It is the most important thing to know that your presence in the world matters and that you have something to contribute. It will determine somebody's sense of um, capacity and resilience more than anything else. So we can't face this strong, more strongly in terms of looking very clearly at what is it that makes it so our lives happen and we all get to benefit. And so it's the sort of thing where, let's say a younger child has the job of setting the table. Well, you don't get on them and remind them and yet you let them take on that responsibility. And then when it's time to put the dinner on the table, 
you look and you see, is that table set or not? And if they haven't contributed, the family doesn't get to eat. And you have to sit and wait for that, that table to be set. So they see that their contribution really matters. If, if the, the role that one of the children or maybe all the children have is to clear the table and clean the dishes, then their contribution matters in terms of when it's time to eat the next time. Is the table cleared? Do we have a, a nice clear table or do we have dishes that are still dirty? Now, one of the things that families run into that we work with is, well, they have somebody that they've hired to do the dishes and they've had somebody hired to set the table and they have other people doing that for them. Well, if that's the case, you need to look at ways to engage with and support and work with those people or where there's something that the different children in your lives, their contribution really makes it so that the family gets to have the experiences of what it means for them in the family. And you can do that with laundry, with dishes, with the table, with the trash, like you said. Maybe somebody that you try to take the trash out, but somebody else puts the liner in that's in the family. Go, go. Thank you. That's such an important point. And I think we'll tie that in also in future calls when we talk about um, um, impact that kids can have in um, working, you know, doing service work or in uh, raising money and making a difference in the world. That is so incredibly empowering to them, too, even at a very young age, because everybody wants to know that they have a contribution to make to the world. Um, and our world, when we're small, particularly, is our family. So um, I think that's so important. And I think it's really, um, in my opinion, again, this is where the debate comes up, in my opinion, something that's separate. Then I think that allowance should be part of, you know, kind of sharing in the spoils. There's great things. And part of what's great about being in the family is that there's choices about money that we get to make um, and that we can all get to make choices. And because you're a member of the family, you get to also benefit from that. And again, it's not going to be equal. You're not going to get the same money that the mom or the dad gets or makes. Um, and you should get a piece so that you can make some independent choices. About, okay, i got to ask uh, you about this. Because like, we are such lovers of language, and both of us, um, definitely believe and work with people in terms of our language really determines a lot about how our world looks and is shaped. So I want to go back. You just said sharing the spoils. What does that mean? <laughs> and what? And this is so important because Jamie and I work with people on the family stories and idioms and phrases that we attach to money. So we jump in when a word or phrase or language is used. It's like let's take that apart a little bit. What is what does that mean? Is that a, is that an idiom that you had in your in your childhood or where share the spoils? Tell me about that. You know, it actually isn't. Um I think it was just uh, grasping for a word and I'm so glad you pointed it out because it does sort of sound like you know, it doesn't connotate good things. I was trying to say sharing in the um y you know the, the benefit, you know if we all Go ahead. You, you said benefits later on, and I thought, oh, I really want to tease it out because I think a phrase or an idiom like sharing the spoils, but that often is coming from like when you've, um, you know, gone in and you've conquered somewhere, you know, the spoils are, wow, what the treasure that you get to have access to. But what it connotates is 
something was um, done to somebody else in order to be able to get it. And what we want to really promote is this idea of, wow, we we benefit from this well, and we may want to actually look at where did this come from? That'll be an interesting thing to look. I always love to look um, at the etymology of words, and I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. I'm not sure I use that word right either. <laughs> um, that's what happens when you move to a new country and you're learning a second language. You start to forget your first language. Um, yeah, I think you're clarify for right that that we have to be careful, time. and saying the spoils make it sound like something um, ill-begotten or taken from somebody else, but it's really the opportunity to have um, the joys, you know, some of, of the great aspects. I, my kids sometimes say to me, oh, I wish we could be in so-and-so's family. They get to do this and that. And I say, you know what? Some things that they get to do are good and some things aren't as good. It's, you know, whatever your family is, there's both and. So that's, yeah, and- again, why I like to keep the allowance and the um, doing, you know, having responsibilities and, and chores separate. Um, again, I'm saying chores, we really need to come up with a, a better word. Um, well, I you like know, it. having the job. If we fall into that, it's like, yeah, what's our mood around it? And as parents, if we have the sense of, oh, you know, do your chores, it's like, oh my gosh, do I feel like right now having to balance my checkbook as a chore? You bet. And I know you feel that way about your math homework. Let's sit down and make it fun and know that it's part of our responsibility especially because we have access to money and we can do such great things with it in our lives, we need to be responsible stewards of it and really understand it. So let's change that mood and let's go have fun on a money day. And let's, I'm going to do the checkbook today and you're going to do your, your math homework. And then you can shift that whole mood anytime you want. Um, I do Absolutely. want to clarify for our listeners before we go on, we have a caller that, um, that we're going to take a question from in a moment. Um, you referred to moving to another country, and if somebody is tuning in for the first time, people might not know that um, I'm speaking from my um, office in California, and Jamie is speaking, uh, is it nine hours difference or ten hours difference? Well, it depends when it is. We we do daylight savings at a different time than um, the states does. So right now we've already shifted into daylight savings. So we are... Good. Currently nine hours different than uh, California. Great. And so Jamie's evening, and she is calling in to this radio show from Israel. And so she's learning not just a different language, but a completely different way of writing. And it goes from left to right, and it's characters. It's not our little letters that we're used to. And it's quite a learning curve. And so I love that we can bring that into the mix, too, and I think another thing we can speak about in terms of parenting is a big piece in terms of um, adversity and allowing your children to have um, challenges that they might really struggle with, too. And we're going to get back to that. But we have a caller that's on the line, Sarah from San Diego. And you have a question about empowering kids. Yes. Um, I was calling my niece and nephew recently uh, wanted to go to a karate competition and they were told that they weren't sure if it would be enough for both of them to go so they asked if they could work to earn the money and in their case their mom works with Avon so they, so when she asked them how they wanted to earn it they said that they would do a party and go and do the sales if they could keep the profits 
And so that's what they're working out, and they're really excited about it. But they're six and nine, and I know that in most cases for kids, um, besides mom and dad paying for chores, what would you suggest as another way for them to work and earn money at that age? Oh, what a great question. And I love that story. They came forward. They took initiative. The parents were able to say, you both want to go, but we don't have enough for both of you. And they came together with, oh, well, what could this look like? Came up with a strategy that could work for them and the family. That is really important. So I just want to break that down. And um, that they are being empowered to do it, and they obviously are going to have an adult there to help them with all of the, the understanding of it. Um, we are really about whatever you can do to support the children and seeing what they can do. What are their skills, their gifts, their talents? What is it that they can do? And how might uh, they be able to um, bring in some extra income? I mean, uh, I was talking with a colleague whose son, and that she has the money, but he wanted to have... Um, buy something that was really important to him, that mattered to him. And he's in middle school. And she'd been seeing that she'd been buying quite a few things for him. And she said, you know, um, this is something you want. What is it you want to do to earn the money for this thing? So it's really yours. And he thought about it and he said, well, one thing I can do is I can wash your car. You You go out and you get your car washed anyway and you're spending money on that. Can I wash your car and you pay me what you would pay the place that washes the car? And she said yes, and then she said, and you're going to need the equipment. So, you know, if I'm helping you and I'm helping you spend and invest in the equipment to wash my car, then I get a break when you're washing my car until you pay that off. So he also understood about, um, you know, like want to call it venture startup cost. cost. Yeah, startup cost. And and then over time, so she, he got money every time she got her car washed, and Part of it went toward was a little bit less than he would normally charge until the um, equipment was paid off, and so he was tracking that, and it was great because when she told me about that, I perked up and I said, "Well, I go get my car wash. Can I come over and have him do it instead of going to the car wash place?" And she said, "Yeah, we can schedule a time for that." And I said, "Great, and then I can have, sit and have a cup of tea with you while he's doing my car instead of sitting in a car wash with people I don't know." So. Um, that it's just great. It's something so simple. And it's the sort of thing where if children can tune into possibly something that is something a parent does that they know the parent doesn't like to do or that they could do confidently well for the parent, that's a great way for the parent to say, that's an addition and you're making it so my life is a little bit easier. So, yeah, I'm happy to um, pay you, you know, what that's worth to me in terms of my time to not have to do that whether it's weeding the garden, watering the plant. Um, and this is the sort of thing where people that have significant wealth need to really look at this. When you hire staff that are your gardeners, that are your, um, you know, your house staff, you, um, you need to get even more creative in terms of how that contribution can work and where is it that you're spending your time that you um, and your money where you, your child could, could interject and, and step into that. Yeah, I just think you bring up such an important uh, point. It's really about creativity, Sarah. And I think it's interesting because they are six and nine. So it's so exciting that they thought of that idea that they could help contribute. Um, And then it's about really sitting down as a family and thinking about 
how can we make that work? What kind of things could work? Is it, like Emily said, a car wash? Or maybe it's going back to um, the karate organization, you know, or the group that they work with and saying, um, you know, what might we be able to do? Might the kids be able to do? Um, could they clean up the mats at the end? You know, what what kind of things could they do to help earn their way towards the competition? Um, and just really thinking creatively. It's not always possible. You know, there is often a very real budget that people say, you know, we can't we can't afford to send you this year. You know, let's start saving towards next year. Um, it's really about being open in the conversation and being creative. Oh, yeah. Great. Thank you so much. Hope Thanks that was helpful. Thanks for your call. Really appreciate it, Sarah. Um, Jamie, we have uh, another listener who has um, submitted a question. Um, they, they weren't able to call in, so they were able to um, uh, submit the question to Sylvia Global directly. And what they're asking is, what are the subtle ways and how early do we start to train our children to be contributors? And we touched on a couple of them. I want to know, what are some ways that you've done that with your two children? And then I can talk more about what I've done with mine and then what we talked about with clients that they've seen work. Right. One of the things, um, it wasn't something that I did, but one of the things I did in school that was great was that um, in preschool already, they um, introduced the kids to an idea of giving back and about um, being able to impact the world. And the kids decided one of the things that they had talked about in their curriculum was about penguins. And the kids were really interested in penguins. And the teacher was really creative and she went online and she found that there was a program that um, you could adopt a penguin for a certain amount of money and that that would help, you know, feed the penguin and give it a shot. So um, the kids did, um, I think in that instance, they did a bake sale um, and they adopted these two penguins. And it was so cute because the penguins actually wrote them emails to their class. They got to name, they, they adopted two penguins. They got to name them and they would send little updates and let me tell you that my daughter at, again, at, uh, you know, three was so proud that she was saving chili and I can't remember the other one's name. Um, and then again, you know, they did another project around the rainforest. And this time I thought it was a great thing to do in school. Each kid drew a picture, Emily, and the teachers made it into a set of gift cards. So each card in the set was oh, one of great. the drawings. And then they sold them in the community and to the parents. And, you know, I still wish I had some of those cards because they were super cute. Um, you know, and it said, you know, Harold, age three. You know, <laughs> They were really fun little note cards to send out. And they were able to save eight acres of the rainforest. And they, you know, did that in conjunction with learning about the rainforest. Yeah, it's wonderful what teachers do to really tap into um, students' um, age-appropriate ways of really being a contribution, having an impact in the world. It's so important. And, you know, it's one of the missions here at Sylvia Global to really bring forward uh, the, the fact that when there is this capacity 
as human beings to see something that you want um, to be different, that you really can move the world the way you want it to. And uh, you don't necessarily, I mean, those kids didn't have a ton of money. They had the passion, the desire, the, you know, maybe they could have gone home and said, Mom, could you write a check? And No, it's about how do I make a difference? How do I show up in the world where I matter and I make it for somebody else, something else gets to benefit because I care. And we, um, we invite people to start at the home with what really matters right under the same roof and then also encouraging the spark of interest in the children's hearts that you're with. Um, uh, Lisa Parker, who I definitely, we are going to definitely have on this show, she's amazing. She has a company called Family Circle Advisors and she works um, with family foundations in terms of bringing in younger generations has written quite a bit about this, and she and I do a presentation on philanthropy beginning at five. So you can start as young as age five around that. And she has a beautiful story that she tells about um, a, a little petting zoo that they would go to with children and how there was a particular deer there that her daughter just fell in love with. And her daughter um, uh, saved up some of her money and wanted to bring it to really support the deer and being fed and being taken care of and um, how beautiful and meaningful that was for her to go and bring it and see the deer and what a difference it made. And children, young children especially, are very drawn to animals, and that's a great place to start. And um, we really encourage families, especially if you have a pet, that that's a great place to have the children start being a contribution. And it's not so much about the nagging and being on them and reminding them. It's about really having the child notice and see that whether they do something or not really does have an impact. And, um, you know, I would, like you said, Jamie, um, earlier about asking questions, if, you know, if you notice that the dog hasn't been fed instead of telling the child to feed the dog, if you look and you say, gosh, you know, we've all eaten and, um, wow, it looks like, you know, Chauncey over there is looking pretty pretty woeful. Has, what, what do you think? It, you know, do you think his tummy's empty and would he go get himself something to eat right now if he could? And then the child's much more likely to jump and say, oh, I need to feed him, as opposed to, you need to feed him, you need to feed him. It's just a completely different way of engaging where you um, be curious about what you're noticing to get the child to look and notice um, how what they remember, what they forget has as an impact on the loved ones around them. Which uh, I love to do. we have another caller? I was going to ask you a we question. Do, why don't you finish your thought, and then we'll go to uh, Dana from Huntington Beach. So um, first, Jamie, finish your thought, and then we'll, we'll find out what Dana has as a question. Well, I was just going to say that, um, you know, I was going to harp back to something else that you had said earlier, actually, um, and now I'm forgetting what it is. So let's go on to the question because it wasn't. <laughs> it, it was opening up. It was opening up a new conversation. Okay, we, we've got lots of those. We have no no shortage. So Dana, hi, welcome to the show. What what can we help you with? So my question is, uh, what is your suggestion, or how have you approached the times when your child is not as enthusiastic about having to be a team player and they kind of do the, well, life isn't fair and this person, you know, um, when they start to see that other 
families are really engaging the children into responsibility, participation, saving. Um, so how do you approach that, that you know, that um, attitude of, you know, it's not so much what other people are doing, but your own family dynamic and keeping them um, not only engaged so that they don't feel like, oh, it's a chore and it's, you know, it's not fair, but that it's something fun that they are participating in. Great question. Thanks for calling in and asking that because there's a lot of people who have that on their minds. No question about it. I work with people every day that have that question. Um, Jamie, I've got my thoughts. Do you want to jump in? or Go for it, and I'll contribute afterwards. Okay. So um, one of the first things in terms of life isn't fair is to really join in and agree with them, but not from a place of, so do it anyway, but from a place of, yeah, let's really look at this. And um, what is it that we are, um, whether you want to use blessed with or what can we be grateful for, what is it that we have that somebody else might look at and feel is really unfair that they don't have? So you get them to kind of start to put themselves in other people's shoes um, and you start to look at, um, what is it, if you shift the mood to what is it we can be grateful for, what is it that we love, that can help. And the other thing is to look at, yeah, you know, even it's there's things about life that aren't fair no matter what stage of life you're in. And that we, if you look at life from that place, you're going to have a certain experience of life from that place. And how does it feel in your body when you think about life being unfair? And how is it for you when you think about what's in front of you? I know what happens for me. It can feel really lousy. It makes it so I'm not really motivated and I don't get excited about what's in front of me. So you can normalize it. You can actually speak into what that kind of thinking will produce as opposed to making it wrong or telling them that they shouldn't feel that way or think that way. Like, okay, I get that you're feeling that way and I can see where that would create kind of a lousy mood about what's in front of you right now. That, um, you know, it's kind of like saying... Um, it's not fair to brush your teeth. Well, I really, you know, I'm passionate about having the healthiest teeth I can have and I'm so grateful we live in a time where we know that there's some very simple things we can do every day that allow our teeth to be healthy. And, you know, people in the past, they didn't have that and they had really rotten teeth that would fall out of their mouths and there's people today that have that. Have you noticed that? And, you know, maybe they've seen a homeless person or they've seen somebody on a TV show. It's like, why, why do you think their teeth are like that? So you, you bring it down to something that they can really see and uh, definitely use teachable moments in terms of um, children really notice and see um, homeless people or um, people that have injuries or we have a lot of vets here now. A lot of people are seeing more and more people that have had amputations or lost limbs and that's not very scary either. So um, bringing forward that whole well, I'm so grateful I have two legs, is a nice place to start from. Jamie, do you want to say some things for, for Dana as well? I would. I'd love to. First of all, I think that, you know, I want to break down a couple of things that you said because I think that, that there were so many nuggets there. Um, you know, it's really about gratitude and being grateful. And, again, um, as we spoke about earlier, this is one of those places that our actions speak louder than our words. So sometimes when kids are saying it isn't fair, 
we it's a reminder to us also to track how much we might be reflecting that back and to, you know, just model and say, yeah, you know, um, oh, it's not fair that you have to walk the dog. Aren't we lucky we have a dog? Our dog's so great, you know. And then the idea of sometimes it's okay. You know, I think we live in a society where we think that um, we should be happy 24-7 and doing things we love. Sometimes it's okay, I think, to say to kids, yeah, we just got to do it. You know, in order to have dinner, we have to make the dinner, and that might not be as much fun or setting the table. Let's make it as as fun as possible, you know. I'm I'm willing to help you set the table. Um, will you be willing to help me clear at the end? So it can also be about cooperation. Um, and, you know, and just saying sometimes those those things are what they are. I had um, um, a client once say to me something about, well, there's a reason they call it work. Sometimes there is work involved, and that's perfectly fine. So, um, you know, I think that um, – Really trying to make it fun, recognizing that it isn't always, having a sense of gratitude along with it, and a sense of community and cooperation, and really uh, looking at the places that you can say we are a lucky family and we do have some positives. Um, and, and it's also what you choose to look at. You know, we can say that with kids too. Are we going to look at it as, um, Big, again, big bummer that we have to walk the dog, or aren't we lucky we have the dog? Yeah, well said. Dana, does that answer your question? Yes, it did. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you for it. And one of the things I want to add in terms of that cooperation piece is a lot of times um, in terms of uh, children and parenting, what you'll notice is if a child goes to a place of complaining and you find that you're in this kind of... Um, ongoing struggle where there's lots of nagging, complaining, it's on the parents' shoulders a lot to get the child to do something, you can really switch that around. And um, one, a couple of things that will make a big difference are to um, initiate and join in with the child um, and um, show them that you're there with them and then um, to then do some parallel um play together around things that need to get done. So one example that is, you know, you need to go clean your room. Well, a child may procrastinate and put it off and not want to do it. Well, if you go into the child's room and say, okay, it's room cleaning time, let's get started, and you start and help them with getting motivated, and it's a we, and you just get involved with them, and you say, okay, what are we going to do together? You get started, and you say, okay, what are you going to do next while I go and um, clean off my desk because it's really gotten quite messy? and I'm going to go focus on my desk, well, should we set a timer and see how long it will take each of us to do it, and then we'll check in with each other? So there could still be a sense of we, and you get to do what you need to do, and the child's doing what they need to do, and there's an engagement around that and some fun and play around that as opposed to um, still clean your room while, you know, you're off doing other things. Because what the child wants more than anything is engagement with their parents. And one of the reasons why... Children that um, have wealthy parents are most at risk, and there's been research shown that um, they're actually um, quite at risk for all kinds of um, uh, uh, depression, anxiety, um, suicidal behavior, um, even teen pregnancy and drugs and um, alcohol abuse. It's because of um, missing out on that parental engagement because the parents are so... um, 
uh, busy and um, torn in different directions with what they're focusing on. Um, and, you know, the boards that they're on, the businesses that they're running, the and it, it's such an unfortunate aspect of this uh, situation because all of the wealth, all of the work, everything that the parents are doing to um, really have an impact in the world and make it a better place, it's all about their children. Everything is about how to make the world better for their children, how to make make it so that their children's lives can be that much better. And oftentimes what the children will see is that the money, the wealth, the the power, the influence, the prestige that the parents have is taking the parents away from them and they will act out. And so that could be a whole other show we can talk about. That the more that you can engage in little quality ways with your children around things that need to get done can make it so much more um, empowered and pleasurable and enjoyable in the family around um, you know, growing up really empowered children instead of entitled kids. So well said, Emily. Um, and I would just add additionally, too, is, you know, sometimes with the responsibilities that kids have, they don't have much choice in it, you know. We, we often put it on them. It's great to think about what are the responsibilities, you know. Okay, we have to do these five things to get dinner ready. Who wants to do what? Whenever we can empower our kids to give them some choices, so giving them some ability to say, yes, I'd prefer to do this or I'd prefer to do that. And also sometimes it, it's as simple as giving them a little choice about when they do it. So going back to your example about cleaning the room, um, you know, before dinner, um, I'd like you to clean your room. When would you like to do that? You know, and you can do it differently with different ages. If they're really little, you could say, would you like to do it now or would you like me to set a timer for five minutes? Um, if they're older, then you can say, you know, it's going to take you about a half an hour. We're eating at six. When would you like to do it? Um, and say they say four, then it's 430. They haven't done it. You can go and say, okay, remember, you said you were going to do it at four. So giving them places where they are empowered to make decisions, even within the context of needing to do those responsibilities. And I would even jump in in terms of the language around that instead of remember you said you were going to do it because think of the tone and the, the mood you could have around that. It's more about, hey, have you checked the time? I wonder if you might have lost track of time because you've made a commitment and I want to make sure that you take care of what your promises are. And so, again, you support the child in remembering and taking care of their own commitment and their promise and just helping them redirect. I get, I get, I lose track of time. Let's look at what time it is and um, what, what do you remember that you said you were going to do? Like, you give it back to them. Um, Such a great have, thing, the tone. Yeah, we have another um, caller, Stephen from Carlsbad. Hi, welcome to our show. I'm out of California. Hello. Yeah, hi. Yeah, um, you guys touched on allowance earlier and then philanthropy. Uh, as young as five, um, how would that work to, like, if you tie the two together and having the, the child do their own, like, tithing or charitable giving from their allowance or their earnings around the house? Great question. It, it goes back to the share, save, and spend. So um, what we often recommend is whatever you give as the agreed-upon allowance, and we often have it tied to... Um, like how old a child is so that, again, that's fair versus equal. If you have children of different ages, 
like a five-year-old might get um, uh, 50 cents or a dollar, and then a, a eight-year-old might get uh, $2, and then an 11-year-old might get $3. Like where you make it because they have more capacity and they've shown up as being able to um, do more with more. And what you do is you give them whatever their allowance is split up into thirds. And they automatically look at, they have these thirds, and they put them into their share, their save, their spend. Or you can, you can decide as a family, wow, we do 10% goes to automatically tithing. So that's going into the share one. So if I'm giving you um, a dollar, maybe you'll have the allowance be, you know, in change, and they would get a dime would go into the share, and then they could split up the other the way that they choose to, or you may decide as a family how you want to do that. Jamie, what have you seen work with this share, save, and spend with the allowance? I think that's a great way to do it. Another thing that that I've done um, is to have, and sometimes I like to have a even smaller container than the, you know, Quaker oatmeal thing, so it fills up fast. That um, one of the traditions we do in our family is, you know, like Friday night before dinner, you know, that's when we all put money into contributing. Um, so everybody gets to take there. And it's really nice, like you said, Emily, especially for young kids when, you know, even if their allowance is 30 cents, that they have three dimes so they can physically put something in. But if the container's small, when it fills up, what's really great is to say, okay, now how are we going to use this money as a family um, or even letting the kids decide, you know, our kids, my son once decided we were going to take that money, we were going to buy bread and peanut butter and jelly, and we were going to the park, and we were distributing sandwiches. And so that's what we did. Um, you know, some people wanted them, some people didn't. He didn't really have good discretion about who might need it or not need it, didn't matter. Um, but they got a real tangible sense of this is the money that I contributed, and now I'm making a difference even at a really young age. Yeah. Is that, do you have more that you want to ask about that, Stephen, or does that re- respond to what you're asking? Oh, that, that, that's a good response. That answers my question. Great. Thank you. Thanks for the question. I, you know, I have a memory, um, here we've just entered into October. I have a memory when I was a kid of um, going trick-or-treating and having the little UNICEF box. Do you remember those little orange UNICEF Absolutely. boxes? Absolutely. And it was as exciting when we would come home to go through and look at um, all the candy that we got, to look at how much money we got in the boxes. And, you know, my brother and I would look and we would see how much we got together. And now what's so great about the Internet, because we didn't, I mean, we were like, okay, there's this UNICEF box, and then we bring it back to the school. But we didn't really have a strong connection to it. But now whatever it is that the child decides they're interested in or that they want to give to or whatever organization you as a family have decided you're going to give to, you can connect in really effortlessly to find out what does that organization do with the money? What is it that you're making a difference with? Like you were saying, Jamie, like adopting a pet, and then you get information coming back. Or um, sites like Kiva can be so helpful in terms of engaging in giving. And uh, some children have more of an entrepreneurial spirit. And they're like, I want to do microloans. You know, I heard that that could be helpful. Well, what's that? You know, you can do all kinds of research, whatever they're curious about, so that you make sure that they understand the importance of due diligence. And you want to make sure, like what you just said about how he was kind of being, there wasn't any discretion about who he who was giving the sandwiches to. 
now children can really do due diligence with you in terms of, hey, what organizations are getting the best rating about what they're doing? Or um, what are the organizations in the area that do something to really feed the hungry? And let I get it. You want to feed the hungry? Let's look and see what's the best way we can go about doing that that will make the biggest impact given the amount of money we have. I have to tell you about this great website that uh, that I found called freerice.com. Uh, and are you familiar with it, Emily? I've heard of it. Tell, tell it's so fun it. because, you know, kids are wanting to play games on the computer and to do things. So this is sort of like um, it's freerice.com, and you go on and you answer questions. So, you know, I just flipped over to it. The first question is English vocabulary, factory means, subject, example, certainty, manufacturing place. Then for each right answer, I get 10 grains of rice. And the more rice that I get for getting right answers, the more they donate rice to feed the hungry. So, you know, that's an opportunity if your kid has a certain amount of time that they're allowed to be on screens, that you could be combining them playing games. My kids thought that was so much fun to do. And they said, you know, at the bottom, how much has been donated yesterday? How much rice has been donated to date? You know, they can be doing something that's really fun and be benefiting um, hungry people. Yeah, and, you know, we did this, um, something similar uh, last Thanksgiving. My niece and nephew um, opened up a site. I don't know if it was that one or a different one, but it was really fun, and they had it, um, they were getting ready for SAT prep. And so we were doing all kinds of things around really challenging vocabulary as a whole family, and um, we were also um, benefiting an organization as we were doing it. And there was a time aspect to it, too. So it created a sense of competition and fun, and we did it with geography. And so there's all kinds of things you can do. That's great. Well, I am paying attention to that we're almost at the top of the hour, and I see that we have um, a lot more conversations that get generated. That's what we love about this show is the opportunity to hear what people's interests are and their concerns and then continue the conversation within the show and in future shows. So we certainly have a lot of food for thought, certainly be talking about engaging kids and giving and impact. And we also want to be able to talk to you about our evocative question, our inspiring invitation, and our useful tools before we end. So, um, Emily, you want to start? Well, thanks, Jamie, for um, rounding that out. And, yeah, we, we've got some really great um, callers. Thank you so much. Our evocative question is, what one small thing can you shift in how you're moving with uh, money, with um, some sort of way that you're parenting um, that will bring your children closer to being more empowered around money and choices? Thank you. And our inspiring invitation is to observe your own behavior. How are you in or out of alignment with what you're saying to your kids and what you're doing? And this is, since it's an inspiring invitation, it's not at all about making yourself wrong and saying, oops, I did it again. I didn't say it in a positive way or, wow, I told them to save and I'm spending. It's just noticing and seeing and naturally shifting from there. Not about being wrong, but about growing. 
And if you want the resources that we've mentioned on this call or other resources we have, you can go to www.wealthlegacygroup.net and you can always go to sylviaglobal.com or blogtalkradio slash sylviaglobal and uh, you can post your responses. You can go to Facebook, like us on Facebook and we are thrilled to have you listening and we look forward to next week and continuing the conversation. Thanks so much. Thank you.